to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Let's look at verse 31. And we're going to get in the word tonight. I love it. You know, sometimes when you minister the word of God, you don't really know exactly the direction. But then as you're as utterance comes, you're just going, wow, yeah, that fits, and oh, this is fresh. So this will bless you tonight if you're hungry for it. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, he said, if you continue in my word, this word continue, as I've said many times, if you remain, if you endure, and if you abide in my word, right? Remember, the word is to, your heart is to be a home for the word of God, not a hotel where the word checks in and out, right? It's, it's your, your heart is to be a home for it. He says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, you're my followers, right? You know, everybody runs around saying they're a Christian, right? And, and that term has gotten really watered down. But in the early church, it was, yes, I'm a believer. And then as I continued to walk with God and continued in his word, and now I'm being a doer of his word, I would then be called a disciple, a follower, Right, And then, as, as things started manifesting out of my life, the words start manifesting in my life, then I'd be like, okay, I'm a Christian. I, I walk like Christ, right? And so he's saying, when Jesus was on the earth, he's saying to those believers that were following him, he said, guys, you believe in me, but if you continue in my word then you're going to be my disciple. You're going to be my follower. And then you will know the truth. It's the Greek word genosko. You will know so intimately the truth. Well, what is the truth? Nine chapters later in John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, Father, sanctify them Right by your word, for your word is truth. So God, Jesus is saying, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples, and then you will intimately know the truth. You'll gain revelation knowledge of the truth. Revelation knowledge. You'll know the truth so well that something will be conceived in you and subsequently birthed out of you. That's genosko. Genosko was a Jewish idiom word of Jesus' day that signified sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife. Something conceived in you and then birthed out of you. The word is a seed and it's planted in the hearts of a believer. And as you water that seed, as you water it by continuing to hear the word and then continuing to keep that word in your mouth, that seed will grow and it will produce everything in your life. The word does the work. The word will transform your life, not you. The word does everything. So your job is to just be willing and obedient, right? 
If you, ju you just let the word, if you're in a major disaster in your life right now, the word will fix it. But you got to get it in your heart. You got to continue in it so that you can know the truth of the word of God. And then it says the truth or the word of God that you know will make you free. The word makes you free. Okay? And then it goes down in verse 36 of the same chapter. Look at what it says. And notice it doesn't say set you free. It says make you free. Does the word set you free? Absolutely. But let's go deeper. Why does the word set you free? Because it makes you free. Okay? And then it says in verse 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be indeed free. Well, has Jesus made you free? Yeah. So for us as a New Testament believer, if we'll continue in the word, we'll gain revelation knowledge of the truth of the word of God and we will be able to walk in the freedom. In the epistles it says, walk in the freedom whereby Christ has made you free. You're already made free. Well, I don't feel free. That's okay. Let the word do its work and you will feel free as you renovate your thinking, right? This is so important. The progression. I decide to put this word first place in my life, right? And then what happens is as I, as I meditate in the word, as I say it over and over and over, as I put it first place in my life, as I keep it in my mouth and in my heart, the Holy Spirit opens the word of God and reveals something about Jesus to you, right? And then you progress. You continue to walk in the word. The Holy Spirit continues to open the word and revelation comes. And when revelation comes of the word and you see something about Jesus, you step. You walk worthy of him. And that word walk is one step at a time. If you're not in the word, there's no revelation, so you can't walk by faith. So you, but, but you're going, well, pastor, I'm still walking. Yeah, you're walking by sight. And that could only produce death in your life. We're talking about how do I exercise my authority? Well, you're going to have to be willing and obedient. But know this. Do you see from this scripture? God wants you free. In every arena of your life, outwardly. He doesn't want you bogged down financially. He doesn't want you bogged down emotionally. Right? He doesn't want you dealing with fear, depression, anxiety, torment. He doesn't want any of that. He wants no weakness in you because he wants you to be strong in him all the time. He wants you to walk in a total revelation knowledge that he loves you, that he is for you, that he'll never leave you, he'll never fail you, he'll never forsake you. He wants you walking in revelation knowledge that you have been given all the authority that Jesus purchased when he stripped Satan and he came out of the grave and he said, all authority has been given to me, now you guys go in my name, right? He doesn't want you ever being downtrodden by the enemy. The enemy is a defeated foe. So let's go to Galatians chapter five. 
Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Hallelujah. The word is so good. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It says, stand fast therefore. And this word fast in the Greek, do you know it means fixed? Stand fixed. That means you are immovable. How? In the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. It just told us Christ made us free. So now the Bible is telling us you could be made free and not stand in your freedom. You have to make that decision. But the word of God is encouraging you now that you've been made free, now you stand fixed in your freedom. In other words, Satan, you're never going to steal my freedom. You can't, and I'm going to always walk in my freedom. I'm not ever going to walk as somebody who's not free. You say that when you feel bound. And if you'll say that when you feel bound, you won't feel bound very long. Addictions fall off. Sin habits fall off. Your speech gets right. Your eyes start to get clear. And you start to see life from the proper position. You're not just walking here on the earth. You are behaviorally, temporally, but positionally, you are seated with Christ far above anything that could come against you. That's the authority that you hold as a believer. And it's not about us. It's all because of what Jesus did. Right? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, which means freedom, wherewith, you could say that, Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This word entangled means don't be held in bondage anymore. In order to not be held in bondage, you got to stand in your freedom. How do you do that? Hey, it is written. Every time you feel like you're not free, you need to stop and say, whoa, wait a minute. It is written because you need to, your mind will shut up and listen to you. Wait, it is written. Whoever the Son hath made free is indeed free. I was made free when Jesus came out of that grave on Calvary. Right? Actually, I was made free before that. When he said it, it was finished, I was free. And when I accepted Christ, man, I was made his very righteousness. I was born as his child. I was taken out of the delegated influence of darkness, and I was put in the kingdom of God and given all authority to walk in dominion in this earth, to have dominion over my physical body, to have dominion over, over all that God has called me to do, right? Don't be entangled. This word also means to yield or be subject to. Don't ever subject yourself to bondage again. Do you know who's going to try to subject you to bondage? Satan, all the time. He'll always lie to you, right? He'll, he'll figure out 
listen, he's a master deceiver, and that's why you don't listen to him, you listen to the word. Don't cloud your mind, because that's the battlefield. Don't let him cloud your mind. Okay? So this is huge. Stand fixed in the freedom where you've been made free, and don't yield, don't be held don't subject yourself to bondage anymore because you are free. Right? That's, now notice, that's not my opinion, is it? That's exactly what the Bible says. And now it just said it in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Then it said it again in John chapter 8, verse 36. Then it said it a third time in Galatians 5, 1. And the Bible principle is in the mouth of two or three witnesses, and I could give you about 200 more, right? But in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. You have to let the word be established in you, right? Here's one of the biggest lies that Satan has ever, ever put in the Christian, what the world would call religion. Well, God is in control. Right? Do you know there's not one of us standing here tonight that God made come to church? God wouldn't have made me come to church. I could have stayed home if I wanted to. Right? Now, in the plan and purpose of God as it pertains to the earth, as it pertains to his plan and purpose for mankind, will that be fulfilled? Absolutely. Do you know... That Faith Family Church, we call this work of his Faith Family Church. But you know what? If I would have said no, there would still be, now it might not be called Faith Family Church, but there would still, the vision that he has specifically for this body would still have been planted in Omaha and it would still come to pass. I just would not be able to be a part of it because I chose. God will let a person Say no to him. And that's why we teach the word. And that's why it says if you be willing and obedient, you're going to eat. Young's literal translation of Isaiah 1, 19 and 20 is you'll eat the good of the land. You'll, it says you'll consume the good of the land. But verse 20, but if you rebel, you will be consumed. So, you know, I've consumed and I've been consumed. And consuming is better right? And this is why we've got to know who we are. So let's go over to Colossians. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, and let's look at verses. We're not going to look at the whole prayer of supplication, but I want to look at part of this prayer that Paul prayed for those believers that were walking by faith and walking in love. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at this. It says in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath, past tense, hath, past tense, made us. There's that made again. The Father did something in the past when he sent his son Jesus that made us what? Look at this, Abel. Wow. 
made us, in the King James Version, it says meet. That word means able. To do what? To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He made you able to partake of your inheritance. That's what you were made to do. Right? They say we could get four inches of snow in the next 20-some hours or whatever. Do you know if it snows four inches, I am not going to fire up my lawnmower and go out and try to get rid of the snow on my driveway because my lawnmower was not made for that. I'm going to fire up my snowblower. And my snowblower, do you know, if you saw me out there in the spring trying to mow my grass with my snowblower, you'd be like, what in the world is his problem? <laughs> Honey, we got to find another church. <laughs> Pastor has lost it, right? Why? Because the snowblower's made to move snow. It's not made to mow grass. You've been made free. Right? And now you just have to decide if you're willing to stand and not again ever be subject to bondage. I think pretty much, if that's a test question, I'm in on that deal. Yeah, no more bondage, right? We've all done that. That's no fun. Well, now it says God our Father made us able to partake of our inheritance. Wow. Look at that. Look at this. How did he do that? Verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. This Greek word means he's delivered us from the delegated influence of darkness. So if he has done that in our past, and we know all this happened on the cross, and it all took effect in your life the moment you said, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord. I believe you. The minute you did that, you were literally, it had already been paid for for every human being, but the minute you decided to bow to Jesus' lordship and invite him in, in relationship in your life, to follow him, you were taken out of this delegated influence of darkness and you were put into what? The kingdom of his dear son. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us. That means he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. Why was he able to deliver us out of Satan's delegated influence and put us where Satan can't legally touch us anymore? The only reason why he can do that is because of verse 14. In whom we have redemption. Through his blood. In other words, his blood purchased me. I was redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. That blood that he put on the mercy seat did not cover my sin, it erased it. Past, present, future, gone. Now I've been redeemed, I've been put into the kingdom of God. Look at this, I've been redeemed, I have redemption through his blood, even, in, now this is a little vague in the King James, because it says even 
the forgiveness of sins. But guys, I'm here to tell you, this word forgiveness is the Greek word remission. You've been much more than forgiven. Remission means you have been pardoned. You have all, all of the weight and judgment of all the sin and the sin nature has been canceled. And you have literally been once and, for, once and forever declared free from it. Remission of sins. Isn't that good news? Wow. So now we're starting to see how free we are. The wages of sin is death. You've been redeemed from anything to do with death. Wow. Do you know you'll never taste death? You'll never taste. That word death, talking about tasting death, Jesus tasted spiritual death for you. You will never taste it. Now, if the Lord tarries, which would be miraculous, and we live out our days and, and we grow old on the earth and then go home to be with the Lord, if we're not raptured out of here, guess what? We, we will die. But guess what the definition of that is? It's not cease to exist, it's separation. When this physical body wears out, guess what? My spirit steps out. First thing my spirit does, it sees Jesus. He's like, you're like, wow. And then you like think about it and you're like, wow. That is the best feeling I've ever felt. We mourn over people who die. You know, my mom passed away a few years ago. Man, I would love, I can't wait to see the video of when she stepped out of her body. Man, she had all these fractures in her back. She was in excruciating pain. And, and you know, was any of that God's will? No. She didn't, want to, she didn't really want to hear anything about healing when she was here. But I'll tell you, I love it because the first thing she said is, oh, thank you, Jesus. Wow, my son was right. <laughs> and then Jesus would look at her and go, no, 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 no. I was the one who said that. But, but my mom, the first thing she did, she went, oh, I am pain-free. Never to feel pain again, right? Such good news. We've been redeemed. So let's look at another prayer. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Boy, I hope this encourages you. Because this is who you are. This is who the God of heaven says you are. You're not just some little Christian that goes to church. Has some little nice little pastor that has like this little flowery sermon. No, no. Guys, Satan has been stripped, but he will still get your mouth talking to receive his lies so he can kill you. This is for keeps. Listen, heaven is real. Heaven's going to be our temporary home. I know a lot of Christians think, oh gosh, I just can't wait till I get to heaven. Well, we'll be there for seven years. Then guess what we're doing? We're coming back to the earth. And then we'll have to, you know, it's going to be cleanup crew for about a thousand years. Right? We'll be still teaching people that make it through the tribulation period. Listen, guys, I mean, our gospel will be a little different. I won't be teaching in a church going, hey, you know, Jesus is seated in heaven. No, I'll be like, no, he's in Jerusalem. 
You can see them. It's still amazing that people who are not born again will still rebel when Satan's unleashed. But then after that's done, then we're taken off the planet again. God renovates the planet, and then it's a new heaven, a new earth. Man, it's going to look a lot better than anything down here does right now. Everything down here is under the curse. You know, my wife and I were going to Hawaii. It's going to be beautiful, but it's not anything like it will be because it's still under the curse. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's see where I want to start here. Let's start in verse 15. It says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And then this is the prayer. This is another prayer of supplication. What is that? In the New Testament, there are nine different types of prayer, all with different rules. What is the most effective prayer? Whichever one you need at the time. Right? This is a prayer of supplication. It is a prayer to help yourself or to help a fellow believer lay hold of the plan of God for their life. And all these prayers talk about is that you could see something. Right? Look at what it says here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here we go again. Revelation, a revealing in the knowledge of him. Why? Look at this. Verse 19 or I'm sorry, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know, again, the Greek word genosko, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's the first thing that this prayer, God wants you to know the hope, that's future, of your calling. He wants you to know his plan, his specific plan for your life. What is the greatest part of that plan? That you have been given authority in the name of Jesus. you got to know that. And that as you use the name of Jesus, it keeps the enemy out of your life. It makes everything come in line. It literally, when you use the name of Jesus, you invite God to come and perform what he's already given you. The hope of your calling. We get so into the particulars of our calling. Where do I live? Who do I marry? What do I do? No, no, let's go deeper than that. Because, man, you could marry the right person. You could be right where God has you. But if you don't know the authority you've been given, you're never going to be able to finish his plan for your life. Right? Look at what else it says here. That you may know the hope of your calling... And you, that you may know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God wants you to know the riches, the inexhaustible supply of his glory that flows out of all that you've inherited. Wow. Remember, Galatians tells us, doesn't it, that he's made you able to partake of your inheritance. So now let's keep, or Colossians tells us that. And then it says here, we're also to know what the, verse 19, the greatness of his power 
that is to usward, that's pointed at us as we believe him. God wants you to know when you look at his word and go, this is my final truth, and I am fully persuaded if God said it, that's it. There is incredible power. Well, what kind of power? I'm so glad you asked that question because that's a great question. It's towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above. So in other words, the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is pointed at you when you believe God's word. When you believe you receive your healing according to the word of God, guess what? The same power that quickened Jesus will quicken you. That set him. I mean, the same power that rose him from the grave and sat him on the right hand of God with all authority, that same power is towards you when you believe. Oh, Satan doesn't want you to know that. He just wants you to think, well, you know, Tony, your faith is just so little because you're just getting started in this thing. And No, no, no. Listen, a little mustard seed of faith will move mountains. Look at this. He sat him at his right hand in heavenly places. Look, look at where he sat him. Guess, guess what? We learn from other scriptures when he sat him there, and we're going to see it in these verses, guess who else is, was raised and seated with him? Look at this. Far above all principality. And that word in the Greek means far, 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 far. It's continual. So, so far, you can't compare it. Above all principality. This is talking about the satanic hierarchy. No one is left out. All power, all might, all dominion, Every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is in the world to come. Verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet. That word things is in italics because it's not in the original. You, if you want to read it literally, and hath put all under his feet. Everything. You know what that means? Satan's under his feet. Now, now, if you want to know how far, it's not like Jesus' feet are where my feet are at and Satan's the carpet. No, 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 no. We're talking far, 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 far. We're, we're talking like, okay, we're 800,000 miles in the air. You, Satan's so far below, you can't even see him where you're seated. Where you're seated, he has no access to. He can't go. And you're seated there. Do you know when there is a king, nobody ever walks in and sits down next to the king. They stand. All of his subjects stand. But guess what? His grandkid comes running up to him. He grabs him. His son, right? His little, his little boy or his little girl comes up. Although everybody else is standing. Mightiest warrior in his kingdom standing. Gabriel, Michael, all these archangels, they're standing. 
We come up, but we're his kids. We sit. Right? Way beyond what Satan could put us. And hath put all things under his feet. And then he gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all to the church. So Jesus is my head to the church, which is his body. We are the body of Christ. This is how ridiculous it is if you ever decide not to be led, be a doer of the word and be led by the spirit of God. Could you imagine how you would operate if you didn't have a head? You'd be like, well, that's silly. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out anything without my head. Exactly. Jesus is your head. Right? We have pastors that pastor churches that have a pulpit committee. Tell them what to preach. They have some dude who's not even part of their church that's their bishop, and, he, and they submit, and it's like, are you kidding me? I don't want to do what some guy tells me to do, right? I am submitted to Pastor Hagen at Rama as, as a director of the Rama Ministerial Associations. But if Pastor Hagen called me up today and said, hey, you better teach on this tonight, I'd be like, you know, Pastor, I apologize, I love you but I'm going to preach what the head, the one who placed me here. You didn't place me here, right? We have to realize, why am I saying that? Because there are Christians that are defining who they are, what their life is going to be, not, not even by some guy. They're listening to Satan who's way below them. And Satan will bring people into your life. Who do you think you are? Person gets saved. Who do you, the, your old friends come to you. Who do you think you are? You won't hang out with us anymore? Listen, I love you. Please don't be mad. It's not that I, I don't even want to. I, I can't. Because we're going in different directions. I still love you, and I'm praying for you. Right? But I'm not going to let Satan lower who God has made me, right? Because I've got, I'm here on assignment, so are you. Look at this. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Wow. This is so good. Jump to chapter two. Let's look at verse four. But God, who is rich, this means he has an inexhaustible supply of mercy. Wow. God has an inexhaustible supply of mercy. Have you ever kind of blown it in the same area? Maybe hundreds of times over years? And Satan will tell you, no more. He won't, it's, you're done, you, you're done. God's like, no, no, I have an inexhaustible supply of mercy. Inexhaustible. That means as stupid as I have been in my life, I never even put pressure 
on his, I never even came close to exhausting his mercy. Because his mercy is literally, it's inexhaustible. Now, it's not only inexhaustible, it's new every morning. Wow. And Christians think God's mad at them. No. But God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, look at this, even when we were dead in sins. Oh, wait, time out. You mean to tell me this is not talking about when I was saved. This is talking about he has an inexhaustible supply of mercy towards me before I was saved. Wow. So that means people that you know that if you invited them to church, they'd go, you're an idiot. I am never going there. I don't want anything to do with God. I will never, you will never see me. God's attitude towards them, I love you, I've got a plan for your life, and I have an inexhaustible supply of mercy for you. And as they keep going through life, the closer they get to the end of their life, the, I mean, he just, he, he's not working harder. No, he always works the same all the way. Because his will is that all be saved and all come to the knowledge of the truth. That's how come you get hungry for truth, God will get you to the right place. Wow, while we were yet sinners, he quickened us together with Christ. So this is telling us when Jesus was made alive in that grave, I was made alive in that grave with him. When he came out of that grave, I came out of the grave with him. That sounds just like Romans chapter 6. I was actually crucified with him. What do you mean? My sin, who I was, the sin nature and all of my sin was put on his body. I was literally buried. When he went into the grave, I was buried with him. When he came out of the grave, I was risen with him. Now I'm seated with him. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. I mean, it's all new now. Why am I saying that? You can't walk in your authority if you don't understand your position, right? He's made us sit together, raised us up, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Wow. So let's, let's see a little bit what that means. Matthew 28, let's look at this. Verse 18, look at what Jesus said. Now this is what he said before he left the earth. So he comes out of the grave. He's on the earth for 40 days. He, he's shown, it's a little vague in the Greek, he was, he was shown to either a total of 500 people or it could be up to 500 people at a time. We don't know, right? If we want to be conservative, 500 people. But then, before he went back to heaven, Jesus came, verse 18, and spoke unto them, saying, All power, this is the Greek word excusia, it means all delegated authority, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And then he says, you go. So we see that Jesus has been given all authority. Now let's rewind a little bit. And let's look at a time now when Jesus was on the earth before he went to the cross. 
he still had authority. Right? He was not born in sin, so he literally, as he, as he came, he literally was the son of God, but he took all those godly attributes, laid them down, he took upon himself flesh, he lived as a man that was anointed by God, but he still walked, he was the second Adam, so he still walked in the authority in his life that Adam had. And then, at one point, what did he do? He sent people out. He sent his 12 disciples out and he gave them delegated authority. He says, you guys are going to go do what I do. Lay hands on the sick, you know, heal them, preach the kingdom, and cast out devils. He could delegate that authority to people who were not even born again. Wow. Then he sends the 70 out, 70 more people out, and then he tells them, listen, I'm going to give you my authority now. Now you go out, preach the kingdom, and heal the sick. He doesn't even tell them to cast out demons. So obviously they were out there, two by two. They all went to different places where Jesus sent them where he was going to go. They went ahead of him, right? The greatest revivalist, I think, in the United States, some of the greatest things, Charles Finney, that's exactly what he would do, he would send people to towns before he would go there. Billy Graham did the same thing. He'd send them to geographical areas. And when these guys are out there, they're preaching the kingdom, they're laying hands on the sick, God's healing them, and then all of a sudden these demons are manifesting. At some point, all of them dealt with demonic powers and they cast them out, and then they come back. And here's Luke 10, chapter 19. Let's look over here. I want you to get a picture of something that Jesus said, and you have right now even more than they have when he said this to them. Verse 17, let's start there. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us, wow, in your name, or through your name. In the Greek language it has within it, you could literally say it through the authority that is in your name. And Jesus responded to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So here's Jesus. He's now talking about something he saw in eternity, way before Adam and Eve were ever created. When Satan rebelled and was cast to the earth way before the Genesis account. Or the six days of creation anyway. Right? But then look at what he says to him. Behold, look at this. So then he says to him, guys, now I want you to see this. I give you power. We know this Greek word means delegated authority. We know it's delegated authority in his name. To do what? To tread on. This word tread means to have absolute mastery over serpents and scorpions. What is that? That's always a type of the satanic hierarchy. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, every demon. He gave them delegated authority in his name to have absolute authority, to have absolute mastery over all these demonic powers. Do you know there's demons set against you? 
They know everything that's ever worked on your, uh, your, your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your grandfather, your great, your great, great, your great, great. And they fish. They throw thoughts. They watch your life. They listen to your words. You walk around saying you're worthless or I'm stupid or the world would be a better place without me. And they take notes. That's good. They pull out their little worthlessness manual and go, okay, let's just do this. Well, God, let's try to get them to cover this up. Let's put them around some people that drink alcohol. Maybe we could get them hooked on alcohol. Let's put on some people that'll, that, that maybe could get into drugs. I remember my friend in Chicago. You know, in Chicago, you grow up in neighborhoods. Then when I moved out of Chicago, I'd come back and visit my grandparents. I remember in eighth grade, he smoked his first joint, right? Tried to get me to smoke it. I fought him when I was younger. I knew better than to do that now. He's a big Polish guy, man, just kicked my butt big time. So I'm like, no. I, was, I didn't do my normal thing. You, you know, get the thing out of my face or I'll make you eat it. So, but you know, by the time he was a freshman, now he's drinking pretty heavy, smoking a lot of weed. Then he started taking some other things. Pretty soon it was cocaine. Then, oh my gosh, my cocaine habit is so high now, I, 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 don't, I can't make enough money for this, so I gotta start dealing, right? Go visit him and how's things going? You know, he's in his 20s now. Oh man, he goes, you know, I, I, I was in Cook County jail for a while because, you know, that's the way Satan is. Right when he had a certain amount of drugs on him, he got caught, right? I mean, it's just one thing after another. Let me surround him, let, this young lady, let me bring this guy into her life. That's a great one, right? Oh, look, that guy, he's got to call the ministry. Let's hook him up with this good-looking thing that wants nothing to do with ministry. I mean, he's got something for everybody, and for you as a Christian, he knows every one of your buttons. And here's the thing, as you renew your mind with the word of God, guess what? All those buttons go away. Right? And you learn to live James 4, 7, don't you? I'm going to submit my life to the Lord, and I'll resist the devil, and I'll watch him flee as he says in terror. Well, I got so excited, I forgot where I was. Look at this delegated authority to have absolute mastery over the satanic hierarchy and over all, it says here, the power, the power of the enemy. Who's your enemy? Satan. But this word does not mean power. It means ability. And, and all of us could go, wow. See, he has no power today. He has no authority over you. He's been stripped. Jesus stripped him of everything he stole from Adam. So in a Christian's life, he has no power. He has no right to bring sickness and disease into your life. He has no right to bring poverty and lack into your life. He has no right to mess with you. But he will because he operates as an outlaw unless you exercise and enforce your authority. Right? And this is what we have to see here. We might not get any further than this, but I think this will be good. And over all the ability of the enemy, and look at this, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So guys, as you look at this scripture, there's a tendency to see the devil as your enemy. Well, is he our enemy? Yeah. But then 
if you look at it, if you if you look at it naturally, you will start to act like, man, he's my enemy. I need to fight him. Right? And so you try to fight him to take him down. He loves that. Because operating your, in your authority is not fighting him. There's only one fight that the Bible tells you to fight. It is the good fight of faith. Why don't I have to fight Satan? Because he's already, Jesus already fought him. See, there's a difference between being a fighter and fighting. When he screams, man, you just, see, I fight the good fight of faith. What does that mean? That means I just stand and thank him and praise him for the answer that he already said. And I'm not moved by anything Satan's doing. I'm not moved by the circumstances. If you said this, then that's it. And everybody could think I'm crazy, but just you hide and watch. You'll see all this in this realm. If God said he gave it to me, he'll show up. He'll perform it. Right? The exercise of authority, it's not fighting the devil. Now, this is, this is huge. It's not fighting the devil to make him turn loose of you or somebody else or something. It's not. The exercise of authority is you standing and enforcing what Jesus did. Satan, you, I bind you and I shut you down because it is written. Whatever I bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. In other words, my Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the mighty Holy Spirit in me, will see to it that it's bound. I don't have to fight you. You're already defeated. Because if you start trying to fight the devil, then guess what, guess what that means? Do I really know enough? Do, do I really have enough experience here? Because, man, this battle seems pretty hard. They just mentioned the word cancer to me. And so I need to be at a whole new level to fight that battle. No, no, no. Jesus already fought that battle. To enforce your authority... Well, if you leave with nothing else, this is where God wanted us to get. You've got to realize it's you standing and you going, no. For it is written, this is what Jesus did. And I'm enforcing that. Why? Because I'm his body. You can't have my kids, right? You, you can't have, you can't bring poverty and lack in my life. If poverty and lack is in your life, whatever. Poverty and lack, you have to leave in Jesus' name. Poverty and lack, I bind you and I shut you down in Jesus' name. Right? Sickness and disease, no, I reject it. You wake up sick, I reject it. And I'm going to sit there and reject it until all these symptoms leave and I'm not moving. And I'm not going to get in this little game and discussion with Satan. Well, why is this taking so long? No. You're victorious. Right? The exercise of authority, it's literally, you're just enforcing the victory that Jesus already gained. This is so important. We've got to see this. 
What does 1 John 4, 4 tell you? First, well, let's just go over there. You got a minute? You're here anyway, right? 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Why have you overcome them? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The greater one, the mighty Holy Spirit, is inside of you, and he's God. And he's greater than anything you'll ever face. And I'm telling you, now, now turn to James chapter 4 real quick. James chapter 4, verse 7. You've got to see this. James chapter 4, verse 7. It says here, submit yourself unto God. So I'm submitted. Submitting yourself to God is submitting to his word. Then he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Wow. All right, you're right there in James. Go to 1 Peter really quick. 1 Peter chapter 5. Yikes. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It's just so good. So how do I resist the devil? Verse 6 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, lift you in due time. How do I do that, Pastor? Verse 7 is how you do that. Casting all of your care, all of it, upon him because he cares for you. And then it says this, be sober, right? Don't think like a drunk person, basically, that gives you that picture. Be sober. Have you, ever, have, have you ever been drunk? Don't raise your hand. But you know. But if you've been drunk before, have you ever seen somebody? They're, they're, just, they're just flying down Blondo in a 45 miles an hour. They're going like 15 miles an hour, and they think they're flying. Then another guy who's drunk is doing what? He's going 95 miles an hour, right? Not even conscious of 45 miles an hour, not conscious of red lights, or what he, he's not he's not sober he's not think he's not seeing things clearly god's saying listen be sober in other words you see how satan works very clearly when he comes against you listen don't play this game that you're not good enough you're not worthy enough no no god made you worthy this is your inheritance you've been made to partake of your inheritance get that out of your vocabulary Hallelujah. Look at this. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's just looking. Notice he can't devour whoever he wants. He has to see who he could devour. How many of you would like to be a person that he could never devour? All of us, right? Guess what? You are. But you have to enforce that. Not fight him. He's defeated. That, that, that game is over. Right? 
Listen, the Kansas City Chiefs are not going to get up tomorrow going, you know, maybe it just wasn't enough. Maybe we need to go. Let's just all go back. Let's just, we, we just got to do more because, man, this being Super Bowl champion is amazing. You know, I got this gigantic check and I got all these endorsements, but it's not enough. I, I need to do more. Patrick Mahomes gets up and goes, honey, can you just kick me in this ankle? Because I should just probably feel some more pain. Because, But that's what Christians do. Well, you know, I just deserve it because, man, you know, I just, it, it's just, I really messed up in my past. And if you were to talk to the one who knows, the one whose truth, he would go, what past? Wait a minute, what past? There is, you don't have a past. You were dead, but now you're alive. Behold, all things are new. It's all gone. You are worthy. Why? Because you're so good? No, 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 no. You've been made worthy by what Jesus did. So let me finish with this, or let me pause with this. Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, man. The word is so good. When you talk about these, can you sense the anointing of God? I feel like I'm about to burst into flames. Oh. It says, finally, my brethren, look at what it says, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That's just revelation knowledge of his word, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles. That word means to he goes down one road one way. What is that way? He throws thoughts at your mind. Hallelujah. I've got to go to one more scripture. Go to Luke chapter 6. Look at verse 47, real quick. It says, Whosoever comes to me, hears my sayings, and does them. So guess what? You've heard a lot of sayings tonight. Jesus says, I'm going to show you to whom he's like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and lay the foundation on a rock. And unfortunately, when, floods are going to come. But when the floods come, right? Look at this. When the flood arose, when the stream beat vehemently against the house, but could not shake it because it was founded upon a rock. God what, what, Jesus said this, listen. He said to Peter, he goes, listen, upon this rock, rock what? Revelation knowledge of who he is. I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. You are the church. You are the firstborn. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. Satan has no power in your life. So let 2023 be a year where everything stolen comes back. Resist the devil. Don't fight him. The fight's over. Your job is to rest in who he's made you. Isn't that good news?